everybody. Welcome to Genie Babies. It's a podcast within a podcast, which is the Overdue Podcast, which is about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. Wham, my name is Andrew. I'm a baby. Oh my good gracious. <laughs> baby Andrew's here. I'm a baby. Oh um, no, change my diapy. I... Change my diapy. I made a boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, no one has ever said that. <laughs> My baby says that. He says, Father, I've made a boom boom. Father, please clean my boom boom in the room room. <laughs> I So, okay, we're starting a new long read project where we read uh, 1001 Nights instead of the Odyssey or Dante's Divine Comedy. So yes. that's a new thing. I was just wondering, and you can say no to this. This is kind of a, you know, it's a democratic process and we are each we each have one vote so we can just reach an impasse and the status quo will hold i assume can we do a better intro than the one where you say it's a podcast within a podcast which is the overdue po- just one where you don't say the word podcast seven times well you know it's i wonder if we can kind of rub our magic lamps here and wish a better better <laughs> introduction See, into that's existence. interesting because i only say it like three times and are you mm-hmm. wondering should i say it a thousand and one times would that be helpful could you start saying it and then stop and say, "Well, okay, just hold on. I'll co- we'll come back tomorrow and I'll say it more times." <laughs> that would be useful. Maybe mm-hmm. folks would tune in next time to hear me say to podcast hear the end more. of the yeah. Well, I will consult the just murderous like, king who controls my destiny. Mm-hmm, just think about it. Okay. We're 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 pretty I mean, far will, along will, here. It's I'm a tradition gonna, at this point. I'm not gonna promise not to turn you into a dog if you don't change it, but I know a demon. It's on the it's on the table. I understand. Yeah. So as Andrew said, this is our newest long read project. Uh thanks to our Patreon supporters for making it possible. This is Genie Babies episode one. We are reading uh, the translation of The Thousand One Nights, also known as The Arabian Nights, which is the title on the edition that I have. Uh, and the like, I guess that's the conventional anglicized title throughout history. It's from the first English language edition from like the early 1700s. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, and the translation into English that we are reading is by Hussein Hadawi, uh, based on a 14th century manuscript, which we'll get into, uh, edited in the 20th century by Musin Mahdi. Uh, who we'll talk about, and then this edition, I guess, was published in 1990 with some re-releases into paperback and whatnot. Um, have you ever read any of these, Andrew? Uh, so I, I've never read any of these, and reading the introduction, so we're going to, um, this first episode, we're going to get into some of the nights, but we're also going to talk about like the translator's note and some background and stuff like we have for the the... Uh, maiden voyages of our other shows within shows um yeah reading the author's note i was surprised to learn that there is a segment of like 1001 nights scholarship that considers many of the most well-known ones in the west to not be like part of the canonical thing there's a lot of debate about this but we can talk about it uh so aladdin's wonderful lamp which is what i was thinking about when i named this stupid series <laughs> uh alibaba and the 40 thieves and the seven voyages of sinbad the sailor all uh additions by later you know translators and people compiling different versions of this 
So we will not get to talk about Aladdin explicitly. That's, no, ex- no. Even though I think um, Hadawi did a, a second like volume for Norton, who published this edition, that is those stories based on whatever, like you like know, the, d- <laughs> the deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah, director's cut kind of stuff. Um, and so yeah, this the the split, as I recall, Andrew is between the the Syrian recension. Is that the word people use? The I don't know about something. the recension part. I know that it's, yeah, it's uh, Syrian and Egyptian. Yes. Um, and the Syrian text is the basis from the 14th and 15th century for also what is called the the Galland or Gayond. He's French, who knows, manuscript. Ho, oh. oh, oh, Antoine Gayond. I am publishing Les Arabian Nights in... <laughs> Seventeen hundred oh four, ha ha ha, and he, he did uh, base it on the Syrian text, but included some of the other tales as well. And did and I, as Hadawi talks about it in the intro, kind of like did an adaptation of it, um, which would then become, you know, this Syrian text is what uh, is referred to as the Leiden text which is what Mahdi compiled in the like mid 20th century. Yeah. So like reading this and I'll read some, I've got some excerpts Please, from yeah. his uh, translator's note uh, pulled up so I can read, but I was struck by how we like the, the manuscripts themselves, like we know a little bit more about when they, ca- when they came about and who they came from than we do with say like Homer, which yeah. is who, who, which is, you know, he or they or whatever, like, group of people comprise Homer. We're writing the stuff down, like, way longer ago. But even so, there's still a lot more argument over what the, like, canonical text of the thing is. Like, I was doing some research before we got on, and maybe friend of the show, Emily Wilson, could could uh, <laughs> clue us in on this if we, if we emailed her and asked. But I don't, it, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of, uh, debate over like what the right original like Greek version of the Iliad or the Odyssey is like mm. at least not that I could find not not like um not like is is laid out here where you've got like different branches of 1001 Nights with the Egyptian branch being much more um in Hadawi's words like corrupted by additional stories and changes to the to the language and then the Syrian version being closer to what the original would have been. But yeah, to just give you a, yeah, I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because like Greece was more of a monoculture and then it was sort of imported into Roman culture, which just kind of subsumed and, and built on top a lot of those legends without like replacing them. Yeah. Um, there's a and, little- and then this is, this is, like so the stories of the knights this is from the the translator's note the stories of the knights are of various ethnic origins indian persian and arabic in the process of telling and retelling they were modified to conform to the general life and customs of the arab society that adapted them and to the particular conditions of that society at a particular time so i know in in greece you've got like athens and sparta and you've got like different you've got different sections of like society but i don't know culturally that they're like hugely as different yeah 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 and i'm kind of talking on my butt he also mentions um (laughs) (laughs) he mentions uh that the tales as we understand them now 
in his words and in his opinion, bear a, quote, basic homogeneity resulting from, like, the growing Islamic world and, like, running it through a running a, a couple of different cultures through a, a growing monoculture, um, which is what you're saying is like maybe was already ex- like existing in Greece by the time that Homer would have been sat down. Like there's a Persian collection called the Hazar Afsana, which is where a lot of these tales come from, um, that is like from like the 3rd or 4th century CE, if not older. And then it isn't until much later that we start to see it like written down as we know it now. Yeah. Well, it's it's also the case that these stories, you know, they they were westernized at a yep. certain point in time, um, where where with the Iliad, the Odyssey, you can trace a more direct lineage from like ancient Greece up through the Roman Empire, up through like the Renaissance. Like there is this, what was considered like the canon and like worth studying is more consistent and then this gets added later as it gets like brought in and and translated and added to in ways that make it more like palatable to an English or a French audience or whatever. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? Hadawi goes like hard he at goes the English re- translators <laughs> yeah. and and perhaps with good reason, you know, he's talking about um the west taking these stories, the European west taking these stories um and like suiting them to their own purposes whether it be as like a travelogue of a faraway land quote unquote or isn't this like work that has a lot of sex in it and exoticism like shocking you victorian readers in the 18th century um but he then says like he does he does give credit to them for establishing it as a classic and like what the quote is like the nights could shine in the dark which is him saying like even these terrible versions of these stories that were poorly translated and wrong like captured people's imaginations and for that i am so grateful to like have a good translation to go back yeah, to and he's he's not just down on the on the translators who were doing this in Europe. He's also down on like the Ottoman yeah, empire he is. and the yes. Ottoman period of of uh, Arab history. So uh, this is the more significant because the Ottoman period is marked by a sharp decline in Arabic culture in general and literature in particular. Um, he then goes on to talk about uh, how the mania for and this I was when I read this I thought a little bit about um, Shakespeare. And like questions oh, of sure. plays that he yeah. may or may not have authored. But it says the mania for collecting more stories and, quote, completing the work led some copyists to resort even to forgery, such as the case of none other than the story of Aladdin and the Magic Lamp. The story is not among the 11 basic stories of the original work, nor does it appear in any known Arabic manuscript or edition, save in two, both written in Paris long after it had appeared in Guyon's translation. <laughs> Yeah, and he I think the quote that I pulled about the difference between the two branches, which I really loved, if the Syrian branch shows a fortunately stunted growth that helped preserve the original, the Egyptian branch, on the contrary, shows a proliferation that produced an abundance of poisonous fruits that proved almost fatal to the original. So I did, he's kind of an equal opportunity offender here, yes. right? Like he's... <laughs> his tone throughout this is like how dare you all of you societies across <laughs> the entire globe and across all of time almost ruin this awesome collection of it's stories. true it's true 
Um, so I did pull a little bit. Hadawi doesn't have much like out there in the world. I know he was a, a professor at University of Nevada. Um, his Norton like bio says that he was born and grew up in Baghdad, taught English and comparative literature at various American universities, wrote art criticism, and now is living in retirement in Thailand. So dude like got his and right. is chilling. Yeah. Um, but the edition he is using is based on the manuscript edited by Musan Mahdi, who went back to the Leiden edition and then created an Arabic text. He was born in 1926, lived to 2007, born and raised in Iraq, studied at the American University of Beirut, where he also taught, uh, studied at University of Chicago with Leo Strauss and uh, Nabia Abbott, who I think has done some scholarship around these tales as well. And he his other works include like a dissertation on a 14th century Arabic scholar, as well as uh, some writings around um, the Islamic philosopher Al-Farabi, who wrote about Aristotle and Plato, and he taught at Harvard for like 30 years. And then Hadawi was like, this guy's work rules, and I'm going to publish it <laughs> in English. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to... I, I am hoping that I can research as we go a little bit on perhaps the particulars of this translation versus other versions, but there mm. for for a critical edition by Norton, I was honestly surprised that there was not more on both Hadawi and Mahdi as, as writers. Um, well, and Hadawi. So when we read uh, divine comedy, we talked a lot about just the footnotes that are all over the place and that yeah, and yeah. how um, the Hollanders, the, the couple who translated it just, they were so much a part of it because all the entire text requires so many decisions to be made. And that, and that happens with any translation and, and Hadawi talks about that, but there are not a lot of like footnotes here aside no. from the, the intro, he sort of lets the text speak for itself with, you know, a few uh, footnotes here and there just to describe what like individual words mean to a Western audience, American, European, whatever that might not be familiar with it. Um, but yeah, there, there is not, you don't learn as much about him through this work no, you as do you not. do about like Hollander and his relationship to Dante scholarship. There is a foreword, which I found Interesting. So, like, one thing that's interesting about this text as he's translated it into English is he does, and he, I think he mentions it in his, his note up front, is that uh, he does use God instead of Allah uh, and, like, specifically, just, like, to anglicize it, I suppose. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, let me just read a oh, real yeah. quick thing about his intent that he, that he puts in about his translation. Because there... In a, complaining about the Burton translation, and this this ties into something that Emily Wilson talked about in her translator's note too. Is he says uh, he renders them in a pseudo archaic style, dear to the heart of many a Victorian translator, a style that is totally alien both to the style of the Arabic original and to any recognizable style in English literature. <laughs> um, he says uh, Hadawi does of his translation. The failure of past translations lies in assuming the work to be other than what it was intended to be, a collection of tales told to produce aesthetic pleasure in the Arabic reader. So, um, again, and and like Wilson does, sort of discounting this devotion to 
like a a literal or like a strict translation as the most correct one. Yeah, yeah. But in making one that is accessible and elicits in the English reader, you know, the 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 same reactions that he imagines it would have elicited from an from an Arabic reader. Okay, yeah. Now I'm done interrupting you. No, that's okay because that gets <laughs> that's a good layup to what I was going to quote, which is I was struck by this uh this line in the in what is the foreword. Um, this book, which I have called The Thousand and One Nights, abounds also with splendid biographies that teach the reader to detect deception and to protect mm. himself from it, as well as delight and divert him whenever he is burdened with the cares of life and the ills of this world. And I was just struck by the like explicit naming of a goal to this text, um, which is what Hadabi says earlier in his translator's note, which is like, this is to make you like enjoy it that's most of what we're here to do uh and i think along the way we will probably talk about like some themes around uh misogyny and some misogyny and some so <laughs> you find that in this book and some themes around maybe like the power of narrative and things like that but like at the end of the day this does seem like built the truck is built to drive down a road that's fun. Like that's what we're here to do. And I was hoping. I listen. I was hoping it would be this because we, Inferno yeah. and and Purgatorio were had their fun bits, but like, we had to find Paradiso our own was, fun in there we, a little we bit. We found our own fun in Heaven and, and Paradiso because it did feel more like homework than I kind of want these long read <laughs> projects to feel. So um, in the, in this one, I'm glad that we get a guy who <laughs> who has crappy brothers who take his money all the time and so he lets a demon turn them into dogs yeah it's pretty fun that's, the, that's what here. i'm here for it's pretty fun people get here. turned into animals because of bad stuff they did so today we're going to talk through the stories that carry us through the eighth the first eight nights or so um <sighs> we got it's not what? very many of the nights. No, well, so we, <laughs> we're we've currently laid this out, and we'll post this as like a six episode series um, that will not cover all of the nights in this collection, but we'll cover some bigger stories and story chunks, and then probably when we come around to our last episode, I want to do some research on like the stories that we didn't read, just to like quickly summarize them and figure out sure. what they are. Mm-hmm. Um. So today, that's the one where we do Aladdin. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the prologue, which is the story of King Shariar and Scheherazade, his vizier's daughter, as well as the story of the merchant and the demon. And both of those stories have nested tales within them, which is a hallmark of the whole series, um, which we shall talk about. So, Andrew... Let's get into it. How does this start? <laughs> Pretty boldly, I would say. Pretty bold. So what happens, right, is we, we start right with the king, right? Yes. Scheherazade is the... Uh, Shariar. He no, he's, he's, he's not married Scheherazade yet. Okay, wait. Lay out the names for me again. Okay. Because they're all very similar. <laughs> Sorry. Shariar is Give the... Give me a dramatis personae. Okay. Uh, Shariar is the king. Yes. And his younger brother, Shazaman. Shazaman is who I was thinking of. Yes. And later, Shariar will marry Scheherazade 
who is the daughter of his vizier. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. That's all I needed. Sure, 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 sure. I think. All so right, there's an so older brother and a younger brother, Shariar and Shazaman. Go. Shazaman, who has a Digimon name. <laughs> Let's just be upfront about it. Okay. <laughs> Shazaman is a king, and he has a brother who's also a king, and he's going to go visit his brother, who is also a king. And he says, all right, bye, everybody. And he goes... But then he comes back. What did? Why does he come back? Just to like say goodbye to his wife. Well, the the, the vizier has come and been like, "Hey, your brother wants to see you. Why don't you come visit?" Mm-hmm. And Shazaman's like, "Okay, cool. Let me go say goodbye to my wife. She's in this yes, tent okay. over here." Yes, and so his wife is boning someone who works in the kitchen, and he just super casually just kills them both and throws them off of the like the ramparts. Then right? he dragged them by the heels and threw them from the top of the palace to the trench below. He then left the city and going to the vizier ordered that they depart that very hour. Cold. <laughs> and he's very so he gets he gets to um Shariar's castle city whatever like it's not super clear what kind of place these brothers rule over but um he gets to shariar's crib and they're hanging out and he's being very woe is me about the stuff that's happened to him alas that this great misfortune should have happened to one in my position none (laughs) has seen what i have seen He's like, in his depression, he ate less and less, grew pale, and his health deteriorated. He neglected everything, wasted away, and looked ill. Like, he won't even join his brother on, like, a hunting trip. Which is yeah. like, if you're going to leave your kingdom to hang with your brother, you should probably go on the hunting trip. Yeah. And he doesn't feel up to it. He doesn't feel up to it. So, Chariar's like, all right, man, you're lost. And he goes <laughs> off on the hunting trip. And while he is gone, Shazaman's just kind of looking out the window, being dejected. And he sees he sees quite the curious sight. He sees 20 slave girls, uh, 10, 10 white and 10 black. And I'm just going to we're just going to go for it. It's a direct um, quote. Yep. And also uh, Shariar's wife and the all the slaves undress. And it turns out that the white ones are all women and the black ones are all men and they all start to bone each other. Uh Uh-huh. And then uh, his wife yells out, Masood, Masood. And a black slave jumped from the tree to the ground, rushed to her and raising her legs, went between her thighs and made love to her. Masood topped the lady while the 10 slaves topped the 10 girls and they carried on till noon. Already this story has given me a lot to think about. Because <laughs> I don't like I don't I don't have a frame of reference for like the racial politics in this story. I don't no, really I don't know. And the verb topping like sent me off in a direction. Did, I highlighted that specifically because of just thinking of tops and bottoms in 1001 nights and everyone in this orgy seems to be having a good time yeah they do they really do considering their circumstances but of course shazaman is like this is bad well okay so shazaman is like this is bad but all clouds have a silver lining uh i used to think that i was the only one who has suffered but from what i have seen everyone suffers by god my misfortune is lighter than that of my brother so because (laughs) 
<laughs> because what is happening to Shariar involves his wife and like 20 other people. He's like, well, man, this really puts my problems in perspective. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and after that, he's he starts to eat again and drink again and have a great time. He puts back on weight and he's just partying and chilling at his brother's house. And uh, Shariar comes to him and is like, man, you so when you came here, you were really worrying me a little bit. But now you seem fine. You got to tell me. Please, you got to tell me what happened. I'm worried about it. Now I want you to tell me everything and to explain the cause of your deterioration and the cause of your subsequent recovery without hiding anything from me. And Shazaman, you kind of get the sense that he's like pulling on his collar and doing like the sort yeah. of. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, and he, he kind of bargains along the way. He's like, okay, well, I will tell you that this is what happened to me. I saw my wife with another man and I flipped out and I killed them and it sucks and I feel really terrible. He doesn't really, he made me not feel like terrible about the murder. He just kind of feels upset that he was wronged. Yeah, like he, he justly murdered them. And his brother even is supportive. In my opinion, what happened to you has never happened to anyone else, which I guess... These two brothers invented adultery, so that's cool. Uh, By God, had I been in your place, I would have killed at least a hundred or even a thousand women. I would have been furious. I would have gone mad. Which I, I, that's a bit of a reaction. Yeah, right. Um, And so Shazaman's like, okay, so that was bad, and that's why I was really depressed, and I couldn't like hang out with you and eat pizza or whatever. Um, But (laughs) we couldn't play Smash. We couldn't play Smash. but I can't tell you why I feel better. Like, I really cannot tell you, please. And then, yeah, and then Shariar's like, come on. Come on. Come on. It lasts like a paragraph of like, come on. <laughs> and he does. And Shariar's not happy. No, he's not happy. I mean, you could gather from the passage that we just read that he was not going to have a chill reaction to this situation. No, and so... His answer is, well, why don't you follow me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to plan to go camping again. Yeah, they do a real heist. And instead of staying camping, we're going to come back in disguise and we're going to watch this happen again. And, of course, they do. And And it does. And it happens again. And it's very upsetting to them. And again, the people participating seem to be having a fine time. Again, maybe these guys are the problem. I just want to lay that out at the top. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I honestly like by the end of their s- prologue story I was like oh they are the problem when the story started I wasn't sure like where the reader was supposed to be um, but I think I know anyway uh, they watch it happen and they're like okay well here's what we're gonna do I guess this is sucks so much let's just run away and l- let us leave our royal state and roam the world for the love of the Supreme Lord. If we should find one whose misfortune is greater than ours, we shall return. So we're just going to leave and see if someone is more cuckolded than us, I guess. <laughs> and, and so then they do find someone. They do. Who do they find, Andrew? So there's a demon in some water, right? And he comes out of the water and he has this like beautiful woman with him. He's he's carrying and, a big like glass treasure chest. Mm-hmm. And he lets a woman out of it and then he goes to sleep. And he like t- 
trusses her up, right? And then he goes sleep sleepers. Yes. It, in other translations, this is referred to as a gene or a or a genie. Um, okay. So, like, when this translation uses demon, other translations have used genie, which, like, is a term that's the anglicization of jinn and or gene and yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, and so the demon goes to sleep. This woman sees them and says, hey, psst, hey, uh, come have sex with me. And they're like, ah, I don't know about this. And she's like, come have sex with me or I will wake my, I will wake my demon up and he will kill you. And so they have sex with her. First the older brother and then the younger, I believe, is the order in which things go down. It's wild. And then she's like, hey, thanks. Could you you just put your rings in my pouch? I've got this pouch with 98 rings in it for every, uh, every man that I've been with. So could you just put rings in here and then I'll have 100. A hundred men have known me under the very horns of this filthy, monstrous cuckold who has imprisoned me in this chest, locked it with four locks, and kept me in the middle of this raging, roaring sea. He has guarded me and tried to keep me pure and chaste, not realizing that nothing can prevent or alter what is predestined, and that when a woman's desire that that when a woman desires something, no one can stop her. So it was at this point. Like earlier when he murdered when they murdered a bunch of like their wives and a bunch of women and stuff, it's like, man, maybe this and this book doesn't seem like it likes women very much. And then you get to the the demon thing where the demon is the good guy and the woman who is sleeping with everybody behind his back, she's the one that you're supposed to hate. <laughs> and Maybe this book doesn't like women very much. It certainly doesn't. Maybe this book takes a pretty dim view of women. It certainly starts that way heavily. And continues that way. And then we'll see if it ends that way. <laughs> yeah, there's. A, I found some... I'm trying to remember like where I read something about like Scheherazade working to... Oh, what is okay? This is from his from Hadawi's intro. Um, it features tales that divert, cure, redeem, and save lives. Shahrazad cures Shariar of his hatred of women, teaches him to love, and by doing so, saves her own life and wins a good man. Well, I I, I would is love that how you read that. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't know what happens over time because we haven't gotten to to what Shahrazad's up to. But yes, the the beginning, the table setting for this world is that women are bad and. The even even ones that sleep with demons are bad, even though they're imprisoned in boxes. Um, because there's a paragraph like further down that page where the the brothers are like, "Wow, man, we found someone who's sadder than us." And I and honestly, I read it twice <laughs> to see if they were talking about her. And no, they're talking about the demon. No, no, this and this totally tracks with with Shazaman's reaction. <laughs> To seeing his brother being cuckolded is like, man, wow, ever, someone's always got a worse, huh? There's always a bigger fish, huh? Yeah, it's pretty bad. And so they Remember just. that one from Star Wars? Oh my God. Yeah, I get it. From Star Wars? That's someone. You done? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> they decide to. Fan, co- fan, fan Menace. They decide to come back. And Shariar embarks on the worst plan of any king ever. I feel like this is just Occam's 
Well, no, what not Occam's razor? What's the one where you just take the simplest solution to the problem? Is that Occam's razor? It's a little bit Occam's razor, yeah. Um, that's I guess that's more when you're like investigating a problem and less when you're formulating a solution to a problem. But he decides the easiest way to solve his problem is. I'm just not going to marry anybody again. You know, the the way to avoid being cuckolded is just to marry a woman and then you party in bed for one night and then in the morning you kill her. Yes. So she can't cheat on you. And you don't kill her yourself because that would be too much work. You make your vizier kill them for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> doesn't um, in the intro or, or a footnote or something, it... it tells you that vizier literally translates into like one who bears burdens or yep, something uh-huh. like it seems like a bad job maybe if in aladdin jafar had to like kill all the sultan's wives like the sultan you never see any women that's a good point that, he like where's jasmine's mom did he have her killed so maybe jafar is not such a bad guy i have in some of research seen that this vizier in some versions is named jafar so mm. that's probably where that comes from the whole disney story um anyway yes, right, 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 right. um so this is a bad thing and it's happening for a while like this is like i don't know how this like <laughs> palace community <laughs> is surviving this is a, like a, a a terrible a war crime that this king is doing and the vizier is very complicit, but his uh, heroic daughter Shahrazad like volunteers his tribute, and is like, "I'm gonna marry him, Dad, and I'm gonna save the day." And he says, "What?" He's like, "You know, don't be like the ox and the donkey." What does he say? Um, <laughs> he he tries to to talk her out of it. For I mean, his his first attempt is like. You know he kills women, right? (laughs) That's true. That's true. And then this is where you start to get into uh, telling people parables to try and convince them of a thing. So yeah, the ox and the donkey is the first thing. And so what happened? Like the table setting for ox and the donkey is there's a merchant who's who has Doctor Doolittle disease where he can understand language of the animals, but if he tells anybody about it. He will die. It's un. Is it clear what will kill him, or just he will die? He will die. Okay, sure, makes and sense. He se- he seems worried about it. <laughs> he does seem worried about it. He takes it seriously. Sure. And he overhears two animals talking, right? Like an ox and a donkey. An ox and a donkey, and the ox is like, "Man, I work all day, and it sucks, <laughs> and they make me work really hard." And the donkey is like, parfaits, I love parfaits. <laughs> the donkey, I guess, in their usage, like, only gets used to, like, ride into town. And right, the donkey has it easy. Like, yes. he, he gets good food. He gets to sleep in a nice, clean stall or, or whatever it is. And the ox has to toil in the fields all day until his sides are lacerated. And and he's, like, driven past the limits of his endurance. And then he has to sleep in a dirty stall with crappy food and it's just bad it's a bad deal and the donkey doesn't go so far as to be like hey let's unionize but he's like hey why don't you just like call in sick <laughs> like why don't you just pretend that you're not up for work and you know lay around and they'll just leave you alone for a day and just like don't do it 
What if you just didn't do it? Is what? What if the, you just didn't do it? What if you just? What if you just did a work stoppage? But like, don't let's just like tell your boss you have this like a stomach bug. Like, yeah, Colin's sick is basically <laughs> the donkey's advice. And the merchant hears this. He he knows that this is what the donkey and the ox are talking about. Um, which a later tale, I don't know if the animals know he can hear them or not I, the, the impression is that they don't like it seems like he because even if he told the animals would he might die right possibly I don't know if that's a, explicitly a condition but i think he thinks don't tell anybody means don't tell anybody <laughs> sure sure um uh, but what but what happens is the ox uh decides not to do it he's just gonna lay in the corner not be interested in his crappy food not be interested in the work and so he's not asked to work. The donkey, because, uh, because the merchant has heard them talking and knows what their plan is and knows that the donkey's trying to outsmart him, he's like, well, just make the donkey do it. Just make the donkey do the field work. <laughs> just make the donkey do it. And so the donkey does it. And the donkey's mad that he miscalculated in trying to give the ox good advice. And now this seems like kind of a roundabout way to tell your daughter you, my daughter, will likewise perish because of your miscalculation. Desist, sit quietly, and don't expose yourself to peril. I don't know if it's the most efficient. Yeah, the the <laughs> like, moral the moral that the vizier states before he tells the story is, as the popular saying goes, I would be sitting pretty, but for my curiosity. And then he tells mm-hmm. the story of the ox and the donkey. Um, and Scheherazade's like, listen, Dad, like I gotta do this. Like This is... All the women are dying. Like, I have to rise up and marry this terrible king and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and the vizier's like, well, listen, I will stop you one way or another. Have you heard I the tale of the merchant and yeah. his wife? Mm-hmm. And it's the same merchant. I wasn't expecting it to be the same merchant who has the I mean, same... Why build a rich fiction around this merchant who can talk to... Who can l- understand animals. Yes. If you're not going to use them in multiple stories. That's true. Yeah, like the X-Men, like you got to use them in multiple comic runs. Right? Yeah, no, There's I just more than one X-Men keep... <laughs> out there. <laughs> um, so then we get the story called The Tale of the Merchant and His Wife, which starts with Does it start with the ox and the donkey like being mad at each other and the merchant's like laughing about it? I think that's uh, how it yeah, starts. Yeah, after what had happened to the donkey and the ox, the merchant and his wife went out in the moonlight to the stable and heard the donkey ask the ox in his own language, listen, ox, what are you going to do tomorrow morning and what will you do when the plowman brings you your fodder? And the ox is like, listen, man, I'm just going to kick it and chill. Just going to do the same thing you told me to do already. And the donkey is like, don't do not do that. <laughs> yeah, they've reached a, a really bad situation for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the merchant just starts laughing and the merchant's wife is like, hey, what are you laughing about? Is what, it me? Is it me? <laughs> Which is, again, this, this, these tales have a real dim view of the women in these stories because she's just like, what? What's happening? Why, why are you laughing at me? 
And he's like, she goes, in the space of like three lines, she goes, what are you? OK, what are you laughing at? Are you making fun of me? He said, no. She said, tell me what made you laugh. He replied, I cannot tell you. I'm afraid to disclose the secret conversation of the animals. So we can tell people that he can understand animals, but just not what they said. Yes. I guess. And she's like, no, you need to tell me. And he's she, like, yeah, okay. she asked. And what prevents you from telling me? He answered the fear of death. His wife said, by God, you are lying. This is nothing but an excuse. I swear by God, the Lord of heaven, that if you don't tell me and explain the cause of your laughter, I will leave you. You must tell me. This is like one long paragraph where it goes from what are you laughing at to I swear to God, I will divorce you. <laughs> it's wild. And then and then he's like, all right. <laughs> this rule. And then he's like, OK, well, I'll tell you. And then I have to die. And he like starts gathering his will and like putting his affairs in order. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there's like a really like hurried meeting between a dog and a rooster where the dog is very worried that his master is going to die. And the rooster is in the middle of having sex with a chicken. Which is everybody, all the chickens. All the chickens. Yeah. And the dog's like, quit screwing around. Literally, we need to talk about our master. Uh what should we do like what could he do to stop this i don't know why they're having this conversation because then the rooster's like oh he should just like beat her he should just yeah like, he should just beat the he, hell out of her he should just lock her in a room he should take an oak branch push her into a room lock the door and fall on her with the stick beating her mercilessly etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't think i need to no read this... the the additional details that are in this section of this the book. This rooster sucks. <laughs> the rooster sucks. He's just like, he can't manage his woman. He should take her into the room and beat her until she doesn't want to know what he was laughing at anymore. Which he then, which, and again, which he, which he then does. He takes the rooster's advice. Uh, the and wife emerged penitent. The husband learned good management and everybody was happy. Everybody. Everybody. And the morning turned into a celebration. If you don't relent, I shall do to you what the merchant did to his wife, says the vizier to his daughter. Again, a very roundabout way to say, don't do this or I'll beat the crap out of you. And, and she, she says, such tales don't deter me from my request. She she persists, nevertheless. Yeah. And so he's like, must you really do this? And she says, yes, I must. So... She he d- he did everything he could. He did tell her two stories. Yeah, that's all he could do. Honestly, like mm-hmm. one f- one worse than the other, <laughs> you know. Um, well, the one the one set up the other really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she gets married to the king, um, and she tells her sister, uh, Dinarzad. Yeah, Dinarz- Dinarzad. Um, and she's like, hey. At night, can you just like sneak into my new house and like show up after I have sex with my new husband and say, uh, tell me a story? Mm-hmm. That's the plan. Like, it's, and what a plan it is. <laughs> and her plan is I will begin to tell a story and it will cause the king to stop his practice, save myself, and deliver the people. Dinarzad replied, very well. So. I feel like at this point we should just hit pause real quick and like we're laughing and treating this yes. as, as funny yes. because it is so it's so wild. It's so I did not expect this coming in. No, I didn't expect it to be so over the top. 
And it really is. And it feels like um, yeah, like we're not we're not laughing at the fact of like a dude no no beating and... his wife because a rooster told him to. We're just laughing at like say that sentence to yourself and then recognize the inherent absurdity and like this is considered a literary classic. Yeah, I guess I was like not prepared for what this would entail, and it's catching me off guard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, like knowing that Shahrazad is the central like character of the frame narrative, I'm interested to see what else happens in these stories because they can't all be about this, can they? Or can they? I don't know. But compared to uh, the Odyssey and the uh, Divine Comedy, this is. And this is something um, Hadawi gets into in his intro again. Um, it, it gets into more low comedy territory than the oh, other sure. that we've done. Um, so if you're thinking about like the low comedy as it, as it exists in like the Greek tradition, that means like lots of sex and lots of dick jokes. Because yeah. that's what the people that's what the people want. You Our, know? I'm thinking of Lizestrada, which we did like sometime in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Sort of a two and a half men kind of <laughs> Yeah. Just kind of ribald sorta yeah. Men, 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 men. men, men. What a, that what a good the theme song people. wasted on a bad show. Yeah. It's a real shame. It's, it's a real a shame. shame. Well, we've got a few uh, more stories to get to through before this episode Man, I is can't over. Believe this. <laughs> so Shahrazad does get married to the king. Her sister does show up and is like, "Yo, please tell me a story." And the king is like, "Hey, you know what? Go ahead, tell me a story. We'll see what happens." And we get into the story of the merchant and the demon. And this one starts off a little different than the other ones, Andrew. Mm-hmm. The merchant, because well, it's not—it's not trying to teach me a lesson about why I shouldn't marry a, a king who murders all of his wives. No, it is not explicitly teaching me a lesson. Though I think there's like maybe a lesson in there, there like lessons in it. But yeah. yeah, like a dude who's a successful merchant. He like just goes into the woods. He's just living his life. He's eating some dates in the woods. And he's throwing the empty dates. I don't know how you eat dates. I don't know really how it works. <laughs> the pits. The pits, not empty, maybe? Not empty dates. I don't know how dates it works. Dates are just big raisins. Is right? that what they are? Yeah, there's big raisins with pits in them. Okay, so he's throwing the date pits, and he's just throwing them. And then all of a sudden, a big demon with a sword walks up and is like, you killed my son. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this exchange goes on for a while, and you do get the impression that uh that Shahrazad is maybe filibustering a little bit <laughs> when they just go back and forth and he's like I didn't kill I didn't I didn't kill your son and he's like you did kill my son he's like but I didn't I didn't I was just sitting here I didn't kill your son you did kill my son you killed him with date pits well I didn't I didn't mean to kill your son well you did kill my son and now I'm gonna kill you could, could you not no I'm gonna kill you because you killed my son but like really yes I'm gonna kill you because you killed my son and it goes on like that. Yes. For a bit. We get our first taste of some poetry um, that is mostly just about like, yo, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, and and then we get our first cliffhanger. When the merchant finished and stopped weeping, the demon said, by God, I must kill you as you killed my son, even if you weep blood. 
The merchant asked, must you? The demon replied, I must, and raised his sword to strike. But morning overtook Shahrazad, and she lapsed into silence, leaving King Shariar burning with curiosity to hear the rest of the story. And this happens every night for the rest of these thousand nights, apparently. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is the standard sort of formula: is morning overtook Shahrazad, and her sister uh, says, "What a strange and lovely story." Shahrazad replied, "What is this compared with what I shall tell you tomorrow night? If the king spares me and lets me live, it'll be even better and more entertaining." The king thought to himself, I will spare her until I hear the rest of the story. Then I will have her put to death the next day. And that's the sort of stock paragraph that's repeated at the end of every section of story. Yeah. So then we get into the next night and she's like, all right. It's it's like, what if, what if in a frame narrative, the frame never really went away, but it just kept popping up like periodically to be like, Hey, frame here. How you doing? Frame it over here. Can I get you anything? Hey, <laughs> I'm still, hey, I'm still. This is still a story within a story. I just want to make sure you knew, okay? Hey, do you know? Okay, and like the characters don't seem to change that much. the The king will occasionally like say a line that is like specific to the story he wants to hear. Like, tell me more about the dude with the dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least in these first couple of stories, there's no like appreciable. There's no, like, cutaway to him being nice to Shahrazad or anything. No, 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 no. It's just, like, he's being incepted sort of in real time. Because yes. every time she keeps gradually diving deeper yeah, yeah. Into, into the story, and he keeps being like, well, now I got to know what happens with this guy and his, like, dear wife or whatever it is. Yeah, so let's get into that. <laughs> so the next, the next set of stories is... Um, the demons, the, the guy's like, hey, listen, can you just like not kill me for a year? Like, I will go away and I will, I promise I will come back to this exact spot and you could kill me one year from now. Let me just go get my affairs in order. And the demon's like, yeah. great. Love it. Like, come on, man. You used to be cool. You gotta let me do this. <laughs> I did. This sounds great. The demon's like, okay, <laughs> come back a year from now. He comes back and he's hanging out in his date woods again. And uh, an old man walks up with a deer on a leash and is like, Hey, like, what are you doing here? And he tells him, like, he tells him about the demon. He's like, that's crazy. Like, could I just sit here and like, see, like, I need to know more <laughs> about this. Yeah. And then, and then another guy shows up and is like, and I think we get like one or two night interludes. Um, and another guy shows up and is like, Hey, he, I've got these two dogs with me. Why are you here? A demon's going to kill you? Can I just like hang out and see? Uh, and a third guy shows up as well, uh, who I don't really know. We, it, this edition does not spend much time on him at all, but he's around. Well, and we we don't get into his story. No, like, we that, do not. That's where we, where we cut off for this episode of, of GD Babies. So, um, yeah. And so uh, the, the, the next part of the story is that each subsequent old man as soon as the demon shows up and is like hey demon if i tell you my story of woe and it moves you can you spare a third of this man's life <laughs> like i don't know how that math works and the first guy's well, three like three thirds equals one i guess one whole uh and the first guy's like hey m- this deer is my wife <laughs> What does he say? Uh, it's a really amazing first sentence. Demon, this deer is my cousin, my flesh and blood. I married her when I was very young, and she a girl of 12 who reached womanhood only afterward. 
okay. Cool. That's strong start. He then, this guy he had a mistress. It. What? Just like the, the stories within stories even are all built on story topping. Like everybody yes. needs to. Uh-huh. Like the, the whole 1001 Nights thing is like, well, tomorrow night my story will be even more nuts and yep. I'll add even more <laughs> colorful characters. And and yeah, these these two, like the, with these three merchant guys, they're all like, well, you think that guy with the dear wife cousin is is wild. Let me tell you about my brother dogs. <laughs> and it, it's supposed to, but like starting with demon, this dear's my cousin, my flesh and blood, like the other two merchants got to be looking at each other being like, actually, my story is not as good. <laughs> It's not as good as this. So yeah, he he like uh, he had a mistress. Uh, he the mistress gave him a son. His wife grew jealous. He went out of town, and his wife turned the mistress into a cow and the son into a bull. He came back from his trip, and she's like, "Oh, your mistress died, and your son ran away. Um, here, I need you to kill this cow." And after much consternation, he does kill the cow. And there's a cliffhanger, <laughs> and, the, and the king is like, "You gotta tell me what happens next." <laughs> and then he almost kills the bull, but the bull starts crying, and he's like, "I can't do it." And the shepherd is like, "Hey, my daughter knows magic, and she saw the bull, and she told me that it's your son." And here are her terms: she will turn your son back into a man if you let her marry him, and let her cast a spell on your wife. And Dude's like, cool, sounds great. This story rules. Glad to be a part of it. Uh, turned his wife into a deer. His son's wife dies and like runs away, and he runs away. And now he's here, like roaming the world with his deer to find his son. And the demon's <laughs> like, all right, that's a good story. That's actually a pretty good story. Couldn't have expected that. Yeah, there you go. Here's a third of his life. <laughs> so then, what happens in the second story, Andrew? The second old man's tale is a tale of siblings demon as for my story these are the details these two dogs are my brothers when our father died he left behind three sons and left us three thousand dinars with which each of us opened a shop and became a shopkeeper soon my older brother one of these very dogs went and sold the contents of his shop for a thousand dinars bought trading goods and having prepared himself for his trading trip left us a full year went by when one day as i sat in my shop a beggar stopped by to beg when I refused him, he tearfully asked, don't you recognize me? And when I looked at him closely, I recognized my brother. And the story goes on like this, like his his two brothers keep closing up shop and going on these like they're bad at these, money. They're bad at money. They go on these like these trips that are supposed to increase their wealth and they just end up frittering everything away while the responsible merchant brother uh, keeps making a a small but reliable profit back at home, and um, and yeah, it just it kind of goes like this. This one spans several nights, um, but eventually they all like they all go on a trip together, sort of like a pleasure cruise. Like they all pull, they bury some money in the ground for later. Animal right, Crossing so style. This is the, like. He buries three thousand dinars in the ground, which is kind of what they had to start with in the in the first place. I don't yes. know that inflation and whatever. Sure, but he's like, okay, even if this trip goes bad, like all of your trips have seemed to go so far, <laughs> we can come back, we can unearth these dinars, and we can start again from scratch. And his brother's like, man, that's a good idea. 
again, I guess they hadn't invented banks yet, but that's that's basically what not here happening. anyway. He's, yeah. he's burying them in the bank of Mother Gaia, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's no interest or anything. No, but she will keep your money safe. Yeah, that's true. As long as you bury it in a place that is safe, but where you can find it again later. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they go on this journey, and he like meets a woman. That I don't re- like. She's just like a, a random woman. Like she, she is like a a beggar woman. Yeah, and he, um, oh my lord, be charitable and do me a favor, and I believe that I shall be able to reward you for it. I replied, I'm willing to do you a favor regardless of any reward because he's the good brother. Yep. He must be the oldest, right? I like, think, he, say, I think he might oldest. be the oldest. Yeah. This is a big oldest sibling energy. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> um, she said, oh, my Lord, marry me, clothe me, and take me home with you on this boat as your wife, for I wish to give myself to you. I, in turn, will reward you for your kindness and charity. The almighty God willing, don't be misled by my poverty and present condition. He says, sure. So this is... Yeah, this is something we ran into a bunch of times in the Odyssey, which is just like, be nice to everybody because they might be a god, actually. Yep. Uh-huh. And so the brothers who are getting jealous of him and his new wife and also of his material possessions start plotting to kill him. And his wife, who's actually a she-demon... Okay. ...is like, well, no, I'm going to, as punishment, your dogs now. She and wants in 10 to years, kill I'll them. Make you, in 10 years, I will make you not dogs. She wants to kill them. And he's like, no, brothers, and I'm not a bad guy. This is, again, big older sibling energy. And so I, she, know, I know they're bad, but I can't just endorse killing them. <laughs> and so she, like, calls her sister to turn them into dogs. It's very thro- it's a throwaway line where she's like, I have my sister do it. And they're going to people, you know, in demon school, they major in dogs, they major in just like looking like people. It's it's all different. And they're going to be dogs for 10 years. And then she leaves. And he's like, I guess I live with my dog brothers now. And the demon is like, well, dang, that's a lot. Um, Yeah. Another third of your life is spared. Um, And I did do some research on the third guy, Andrew, because this text that we read just says that the a third old man told the demon a story that was even stranger and more amazing than the first two. The demon was very much amazed and swaying with delight said, I grant you one third of my claim on him for his crime. Um, I did some research. Apparently, there's a story where this man, uh, surpri- another man who finds his wife in bed with someone else, um, but he gets turned into a dog. And then he runs to a butcher shop where a woman turns him back into a man due to some magic water, and then he uses the rest of the water to turn his wife into a donkey. And that's the end of that story. Is this the worst thing that these guys can envision happening? Literally the worst thing. Mm. Um, So I thought that the third guy was the fisherman in the story of the fisherman and the demon, which we're going to read for next time, but I guess it's it's not. Because uh, they get to the end of it, and the final line is, but this story... Or the merchant goes back and lives with his family and has a wonderful... He lived with them until he died, she says. But this story is not as strange or as amazing as the story of the fisherman. I guess we have to hear the story of the fisherman. I guess we have to. Now, this seems like a poorly planned segue, because usually you stop mid-story 
And the king is like, well, now I got to hear the end of the story. And for this one, her version of stopping mid story is like, I got another, I got another story in the chamber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to hear this one too? She's really running. It's, 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 she's calling the king's bluff a little bit. She's running the risk of him being like storied out. And she's betting really heavily on the fact that like he loved these stories that convinced a demon not to kill a man. Mm hmm. And is hungry for more. Now, it turns out I think he is going to be hungry for more, but... Yeah, well, and so he is, he is not showing any signs of changing his eventual goal yet. Now, she, he, at this point, has been... Uh, I, it's assumed that he's sleeping with her. Every day, every I night. assume, yep. And then, for, you know, for a week, and then, this, then her sister comes in and is like, hey, tell me a story, please. For God's sake, sister, if you are not sleepy, tell us one of your lovely little tales to while away the night. Shahrazad replied with the greatest pleasure. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, is it Shariar is the Shariar, king that yeah. we're talking about? Yeah, he is still saying, um, the king said to himself, I will not have her put to death until I hear what happened to the old man and the demon. Then I will have her put to death, as is my custom with the others. So he's still like, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> my God. Even though this has been going on for a week now, I am planning on killing her, but I do got to know. Ooh, it's sweeps week. I do got to know what happens. Really got to know. He's just addicted to his stories. He loves stories. Um, I think there is something in these three old man tales about justice. I don't know what they're saying collectively, but there is something about like consequences which maybe Scheherazade is like using those stories to make an argument to the king about arbitrarily killing women there's a there's an episode it might be the second season finale of the Simpsons which is the one where uh, Mr. Burns is like dying and Bart gives him blood Oh, and okay. Yes. Then uh, Mr. Burns gives him that big, like, stone Aztec head <laughs> statue. Remember that one? I do. It's that classic bit. <laughs> that, that classic bit. And they are sitting. They're sitting at the end of this episode in the living room with this big head and trying to suss out what they've learned that week. Mm. And Homer eventually settles on. You know, there is no lesson. It's just a bunch of stuff that happened. <laughs> Is that where you're at right now? And so far, yes, with the specifically with the the merchant demon stories, I'm just like this is just a bunch of stuff that happened. Sure, I do see a running because theme. she does have to fill one thousand and one yeah. nights, but she doesn't so know she that going killed. in. I don't mm -hmm. think. I don't think she knows that it's going to be a thousand nights. I don't think she knows, but she seems she seems set on filling as much time as there is to fill. This is yeah, you're right. She is filibustering. That's true. And there is something to all of these tales also of like, at least in the ones we've read so far, including the terrible kings, the two terrible king brothers, there is a running theme of like... Shazaman just kind of disappears. Yeah. After all here. the setup happens. Um, Maybe he's still out doing something. I don't know. But like, whose lot is worse? Like, whose life is worse than mine? And how does that make me feel about my life? Like, that is a running theme here. I don't know how serious the text wants me to take that or not, because as you said, like it's it's playing with some really low comedy tropes. There's some animals who are endorsing some heinous crap 
and I don't know <laughs> what like the 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 original tellers of these tales. I guess like something that we don't know from this text also is like where does Scheherazade enter the frame? Like the frame narrative goes back centuries, but like I bet some of these stories predate it. So how do they get worked in? And it is a little bit like you're making a mixtape for someone of your favorite songs to like make a point to them. Well, that that's why. Um, and this, we're running a little yeah, long, yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. Need to dive all the way into it. But that, that's why I'm a, I'm a, honestly a little surprised at the um, like how strongly. Um, sorry, the translator's Hadawi. name. Yeah, Hadawi. I'm I'm surprised how strongly he feels about um, like finding the original version or the right version because it seems like there's a lot of like even before you get to the the like western translators and things they they might have added to it it seems like this is still a living like manuscript yeah in a lot of ways. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and to i think you can you can say as as, as he does like I, I think this one is or should be the right one or the canonical one or the original one because it's like the oldest and it has the most like common threads with all the other versions. But I, I I guess I don't understand why he'd be so quick to just be like, this one's right and everything else is wrong. And, (laughs) and anybody who disagrees with me, I'm going to, burn them down in my translators and i'm gonna you know you know i'm gonna turn them into a deer and then sacrifice them to a demon <laughs> i mean maybe maybe there's a, a more coherence to them than we're giving them credit for in the in the stories to come we shall see yeah we're, we're gonna figure yeah. it out as we go but yeah i was i was surprised to just to and i don't know enough about biblical scholarship to draw like oh yeah, yeah but i think that it's it's also a case where the like if if you're thinking about it as just like a, a text and not like a religious yes text yes where the the one as we have it now is like the one true word or whatever like there is a lot of there are a lot of chunks of it that sort of fell by the wayside and it was edited and and canonized multiple times by like different people and so there's is the term historiography is it is that the word I'm looking like the the study of the history of the thing and like how it was recorded and what sounds pretty right. You know, Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> I just, I guess I don't, I, I guess I don't know why you would pick a point in time and point to it and be like this, this is the, this is the right one. This is the original one. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everything after this cut off. Well, that's not, that's not canon anymore. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, I guess you got to be like Walt Disney to pull that off yeah, these days. Well, that's what Star Wars did. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. So those of you catching up from last time might remember that this book is a bunch of nested stories, kind of Inception style, obviously yeah. influenced by Inception. Yes. This book has stories within stories, and but the big frame story is a king who decides he's going to kill every woman he marries after one night. Mm-hmm. 
because of misfortune he perceives himself to have suffered. Yes. And a lot of uh, deep-seated misogyny. Yes. And then one woman who marries him and decides she's going to keep it rolling by telling him a long story every night, but cutting off at a to-be-continued marker over and over again so she would be left alive. Yeah. For another day. Our, that's the deal. Our hero, Scheherazade, has volunteered as tribute. She invites her sister over every day. And her sister helps, like, egg her on and be like, hey, don't you have a cool story to tell? Her, it's always like she gets in bed with the king, and then her sister's also there every <laughs> night. Yeah. I'm Just, sure that I makes sense. I don't know what's going on in there. Um, something that, like, our experience reading it will probably not be able to convey is that, like, the stories that characters tell each other are collected from various Arabic folk traditions. So, like, the frame story is what it is, but uh, it does appear that these stories, like, they come from all over and they've kind of been stitched together. And we talked in the first episode about some of the, like, which ones made this edition's cut and which ones didn't. Um, and our goal is to, we're not going to cover every single story in this edition, uh, but we're going to cover most of them. Um, and like the big story this time, Andrew is the fisherman and the demon, Mm -hmm. uh, because last time after Scheherazade told King Shariar a story about a demon sparing a dude's life, he was like, cool story. And she's like, well, you won't believe the story I'm going to tell you tomorrow about the fisherman. (laughs) Uh, this story, uh, so yeah, yeah. This this in the Hadawi translation, uh, it is translated as demon, but in other translations, it is also known as the fisherman and the genie. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a description of a genie in here that I mean, it doesn't look like any genie that I've ever seen in any Disney movie. Sure, but it is clearly you know part in that tradition. Yes. I don't know that it that this is the originator of the genie, but we have gotten to <laughs> our first genie here in Genie Babies. Yes, that's true. There are other depictions of genies or jinns or uh, what this might be an ifrit. I've read. Um, shout it's out a cool to summon. Yeah, um, has had depictions in Islamic folklore. Some are mentioned in the Quran itself, um, and this one is is a tough one to deal with andrew so like what's the setup of this fisherman in this story what's his deal so the fisherman is trying to fish because he's a fisherman he keeps throwing in his net into the water and he keeps drawing back all kinds of junk well and he does it four times a day and this is a particularly rough day where three times in a row he gets junk yeah so the first with the first time it's like a dead donkey yep and then he pulls it out of the net, and he's like, oh, no, not a dead donkey. And then the dead donkey isn't really mentioned again. I, so I assume, I, as I was reading the next part of the story, I just imagined a dead donkey to be lying just <laughs> off screen the whole time. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a dead donkey the first time. The second time, it's just like a jar full of mud. <laughs> yep. And then the third time, it's a bunch of like broken pots and bric-a-brac and stuff. And he's like, oh, man, I only do this four times a day, and the three times I've done it so far are really bad. Uh, I'm going to pray to God that my fourth cast is a good one Yeah, I really need this. We we get something, and this happens, I think, a bit more in the stories that we read for today than in the previous stories. But there's a lot more like when people plea, they start reciting like specific verses of poetry and stuff. And this guy... 
like is just grappling with the fact that like the world is out to get him. Like your livelihood is not in your own hands, neither by writing nor by the pen you thrive. Your luck and your wages are by lot. Some lands are waste and some are fertile lands. The wheel of fortune lowers the man of worth, raising the base man who deserves to fall. Come then, O death, and end this worthless life. Like this man is having a rough day. Praise to God, he has one more shot. And what does he pull out of the lake there, Andrew? He just pull. He pulls a container with like a stopper on it. It's a Do you know the specific container? It's not like a gravy boat I or be- whatever the traditional <laughs> no. magic lamp looks. Like. I believe it is like a copper jar with mm-hmm. a seal on the lid, which is immediately recognizable as the seal of Solomon, um, you know, of some kind. Uh, and he's like, "Oh, I could sell this copper jar for money." Yeah. Sounds great. So he, he like yanks the stopper out of it. I think just to see if there's anything in it or like because this jar usually contains some kind of gold or something in it that yes. he's trying to get at. And what comes out of it instead is a big cloud of smoke that materializes into this demon. Uh, he had a head like a tomb, fangs like pincers, a mouth like a cave, teeth like stones, nostrils like trumpets. Ears like shields, a throat like an alley, and eyes like lanterns. In short, all one can say is that he was a hideous monster. Yes. He's a big one. He's a big boy, this this He's demon a is. Big boy. And this demon comes out of this lamp cursing Sol- like King Solomon. Yeah, from the Bible. <laughs> just Well, and also from not just the Bible. But yes, but that guy. Yeah. As the footnotes in this point out. Uh, Christianity and Islam share a lot of the same yes. saints, like Moses, you know, saints, whatever you would call them, prophets in, in Islam, I think. Uh, but yeah, Solomon, Moses, these are all figures in both books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From the Old Testament, uh, yeah. So the fisherman is confused. He's like, why are you talking about Solomon? That dude's been dead for like 800 years. Yep. <laughs> and then what happened? Uh, the demon's like, oh, great. Uh, be glad, be glad that you will soon be put to death. <laughs> and the fisherman's like, "Whoa, that sucks. You should that escalated. Be, yeah, you should be ashamed of your uh, of your like greetings to me. I mean, I left you out of that jar." And the demon's like, "Well, make a wish." And fisherman's like, "Cool, wishes are cool. What should I wish about?" And he's like, "Tell me how you wish to die and what manner of death you wish me to choose." <laughs> and he's like. He's like, I'm just going to kill you. And because he says he he was like, okay, I was a demon and I was rebellious and I made Solomon mad. And so he had a dude track me down and bring me back and put me in this jar. And I've been waiting to get my comeuppance on him this whole time. But no one has let me out. And like first. And I just and I spent this whole time getting madder and madder at my potential rescuer. Yeah. Uh, whoever sets me free during these 200 years, I will make him rich. But the 200 years went by and were followed by another 200 and no one set me free. Then I vowed to myself, whoever sets me free, I will open for him all the treasures of the earth. But 400 years went by and no one set me free. When I entered the next hundred years, I vowed to myself, whoever delivers me during these hundred years, I will make him king, make himself his, make myself his servant and fulfill every day three of his wishes. And I think that's like the only really reference in here we get to the sort of three wishes genie archetype. Yeah, and interesting um, that it's three wishes a day. Like Yeah, that's that's a lot. Like I don't 
if it yeah, were, I can think of I can think of three things I want every day. If it <laughs> were mind. if it were three wishes a day, like I'd be willing to burn a wish on like make this bagel taste perfect. Like mm-hmm. I could I could burn a one wish a day on something like kind of petty. That's just for yeah. me. Just a treat for me. Just just this one's for Craig. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but that hundred years too, plus all the intervening years went by and no one set me free. Then I raged and raved and growled and snorted and said to myself, whoever delivers me from now on, I will either put him to the worst of deaths or let him choose for himself the manner of death. Soon you came by and set me free. Tell me how you wish to die. What a cool like setup, actually. <laughs> what an interesting he, he problem. Wouldn't get more, he wouldn't get more desperate to be rescued and more thankful to his rescuer as the years went on. He is... The first person I see, I will kill them. Yes. That's how long I've been in here. Well, he's a really powerful demon. It sucks to be like stuck in a jar that makes you not powerful. Mm-hmm. Like He just wants to get out there and exercise all of his power. And then the fisherman not wanting to die, as has been a common theme in many of these stories, is a demon says, hey, I'm going to kill you. And a human person says, what if you didn't? Yes. And outsmarts the demon. But um, the fisherman, like says i don't believe you didn't you didn't come out of that lamp container thing that i just got you out of and the demon's like yeah i did and the fisherman's like no you didn't like you're too big you're clearly too big i don't believe you and so the demon to show that he does fit in there turns back into smoke goes back into the container which the fisherman then stoppers back up trapping him and then the rest of the tail or this next chunk of tail is told it is relayed between a fisherman and a trapped demon in a container <laughs> yes. and the the de- the fisherman's like listen i will chuck you into the ocean and i will build a house and i will sit here and i will tell everyone who comes by do not take that jar out of the ocean and if you do do not take the genie out he sucks do not do it mm-hmm. and the demon's like hey like come on like be real like let me out be cool yeah. <laughs> be cool about it um and what's he's like i'm gonna throw you in the sea and then uh he's like oh let me out and i'll make you rich and the fisherman's like oh we tried that you're lying this is like king yunan and the sage duban and the demon who's you know been in this jar for almost two thousand years is like what's that story i don't know it yeah everybody in all these stories is just desperate to hear another story in fact a couple times already we're getting Somebody like offers to do a story oh, yes. and then another character is like, well, I don't have time for this right I now. I clocked that one. It's a good one. Um, so this is like, this This one goes on for a little while, right? This is the one about the sick king who has leprosy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this sick king has leprosy and nobody can cure it. And uh, this guy, Duban, who's sort of like a, kind of like a, I don't know. But he's like a wandering wizard. Like he's just, sort of. you know, he knows like a bunch a, of like stuff. A low, low stakes Gandalf. Yes. More of a Radagast, perhaps. Sure. <laughs> uh, and he knows all sorts of like science and magic. And he's like, hey, King, I heard you're sick. Like, do you want me to fix it? I could fix it. And the king's like, that sounds great. Like, that would be wonderful. And can you do it without any like medicine for me to take? Which is such. I don't know why that's like a big sticking point for the king that he doesn't want to take. He just his doesn't med- like the taste of medicine. He doesn't like it. Well, can you give me some Flintstone vitamins maybe and I will be yeah. better. Can you put it in a 
in like a pepperoni roll so, yeah. so I can eat it. Can you put it in my applesauce? Um, yeah. And he says, okay, I will fix it. And what it, he takes his like, you know, he grinds up his herbs and makes the medicines and drugs and he puts it in like a croquet mallet. Yeah, I was going to say they like it's like a medicine game of croquet. He hands this mallet to the king and he's like, play a game of it's not croquet, but whatever the yes. game is. And as you play, the medicine will like seep into your hands from the mallet and then go home, take a bath, go to sleep, wake up, you'll be fine. And so it, and so it comes to pass that this all happens. He must have played that about that mallet and ball game real hard to sweat that bad that the ointment got into his skin. It was probably just hot out. I mean, we are in the Middle East. That's fair. So that's fair. Yeah, probably just hot out. Um, so the king is like, "Dang, that was great. You are my new favorite dude. Here's a <laughs> bunch of riches and all kinds of good stuff." And one of the king's viziers yes. gets jealous about it. Yes, I did. And comes, yeah, okay. I did check it. about viziers um, because I think there's one we'll meet later, where which is where the namesake Jafar comes from. Um, and viziers is a term that's still used today for like ministers and prime ministers, um, but it dates back to Arabic for like to bear a burden. Um, so someone that I think it's even used in the Quran that way, but then also it might mean like a legal document or decision. So different, the term as we know, it dates back to like the sixth or seventh century. And then there's some like anachronistic Bible use, but it, it maps pretty well to, you know, your head servant of the King who is in charge of doing all the King's stuff, dirty work. And then we, I mean, like a chief, a chief of staff. Yeah, we we ran into this in the in the first bit. Like uh, Shariar is um, the king's vizier's daughter. Oh, Shahrazad, you mean? Shahrazad. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing that. Yeah, the king uh, is Shahrazad. Shariar yeah. is the king. Shahrazad is the daughter. She is uh, the vizier's daughter. Yes. Um, and the vizier has been. The one who's been in charge of killing all his wives True. after their one night of yes. marriage. Yes, that's and so right. There was that whole bit where they were bouncing stories back and forth, trying to convince the other one not to do the thing that they were trying to do. Hmm. So yeah. So uh, this vizier is jealous. Yeah, he jelly, you know? and he comes to the king, and he talks like the king resists for like a second, and then he succumbs to this conspiratorial line of thinking like if he can cure me through this magic croquet mallet then he can kill me in any other of yeah uh, you know and any number of other undetectable creative ways (laughs) and so i have to kill him (laughs) the path they take to get there i found fascinating so first please tell me about it the king is talking to the vizier and he's like listen man i love this new guy he's the new guy (laughs) i love him why do you why would you make me do a thing i would regret and he tells a story about regret which is about a king who had a parrot whose wife was cheating on him and the parrot told him about it yeah, I don't and even then, know if it was a king. It was just a guy, with a, guy a with a guy with a parrot. Yeah, <laughs> and the parrot's like, "Yeah, I think she's, uh, you know, she might be cheating on you." And so the wife gets like a bunch of her friends. The wife doesn't know servants. it was the parrot who ratted oh. on her, but she, but well, she or parroted on her. 
Ah. <laughs> I don't want to impugn innocent rats. In but, she, <laughs> but she knows that the parrot is trouble. So she has some people trick the parrot by like faking a thunderstorm around its cage. And yeah, like the exact sequence is she doesn't know it was the parrot. And so she like interrogates all of the servants because one of them must have told. And oh, they yes. All, they all tell her, no, it was the parrot. And... <laughs> And once they all finally do that, she's like, well, I guess it must be this parrot. Then. I guess we're going to fool this parrot. And the king is like, well, my parrot sucks and it's not giving me any information. I guess I'll kill it. They they do. They basically do that thing you do in like cartoons or something where you like wiggle a big floppy piece of metal to like. Yes. To make that does work. sound effects. It yeah. does work. And they basically do a bunch of creative foley and <laughs> other special effects to convince this parrot that it was storming outside. And the parrot is like, well, I couldn't see or hear anything because it was storming so bad. And the guy is like, that's nonsense. Like, it's not the rainy season. The weather's been fine. I am going to kill you because you've betrayed me. But then after that, he regrets that he killed him because well, he found out that the parrot was telling the had been hoodwinked. Yeah, but and then, and that and that's the story is a parable of regret framed around this weird parrot story. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sad I killed my parrot who was gonna help me catch my wife stepping out on me. End of story. I'm sad. And like the king is like, Visure, this is what will befall me. If I go along with your plan, I will be yeah. this man. Don't make I'll me do I'll kill this. him, but then I'll regret it after. And the vision is like, listen, I'm telling the truth. If if you don't believe me, you should just kill me. Like that vision in the tale of the king's son and the she-ghoul, which is a title that gave me pause. Uh, which is, I found this story a little like underwhelming. This one I did not like as much as the parrot story I don't i mean i read this earlier today and i don't it did not leave a big it's one, impression on me it's one page long a dude like a king had a prince the prince went with the visitor to go hunting the visitor was like check out that wild beast uh why don't you go check out that beast and while he was there he met a woman who was he thought was cool turns out she was a she ghoul who wanted to feed him to her she ghoul kids and he like ran away and got away and then told his dad about it and the dad killed the visitor Oh, this one's not as good, yeah. And, and the vision's like, listen, King, you could kill me like this dumb story I'm telling you right now if I'm not telling the truth, but I need you to know that I'm telling the truth. And the king is I just swayed. like the I like the the formula where <laughs> just saying saying don't kill me isn't enough, but then you tell a long story about someone who ended up not killing somebody or who killed someone and regretted it and then the person who's being convinced is like, well, that was a pretty good yep. anecdote, and I'm con- I'm thoroughly convinced now. <laughs> and that's My mind is completely changed. I have no new information, only new stories. And that's what's going on with the fisherman and the demon, though, right? Is he's like, listen, if you kill me, like, God, like God will be mad. Like, that's, that is bad. You shouldn't do that. And that's what's happening with this king and the sage Duban, because, like, the king is like, listen, Duban... My vision's got a point. You're too good at science. I have to kill you. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. dangerous to have you here. You could put all sorts of medicine in my in my mallet. Who knows what would happen to me? And Dubon says, you know, if you if you spare me, God will spare you. And if you kill me, God will kill you. 
And the king's like, I got Pretty gotta... unambiguous. And the king's like, I'll take that chance, bud. You could kill me too. Like, I'd rather have God kill me than you, so let's go. And Dubon's like, this is another trick that comes back from last episode. Dubon's like, hey, give me a second. I'm going to go home. I'm going to settle my affairs. Yeah, let me go settle my affairs. That's the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> like, don't let them go settle their affairs. They're just going to... They're just going to set up countermeasures. They're not going to come back and calmly let you kill them. They're obviously trying to hoodwink you in some way. His plan is, I will bring back this this book I have called The Secret of Secrets. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of cool secrets in this book. You can tell because of the extremely real, not made up title that I gave it. And if you kill me and then put my head in this powder uh, that I'm going to leave instructions for... And then read the third sentence, like on this one page in this book. Then my head will tell you anything you want to know. And magic, and it's like, all right, well, let's and do again, it. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure why the king falls for this because it really seems like Dubon doesn't win. Like it's, it's too good a deal for the king. Like he gets to kill Dubon and he gets the cool head secrets. Like there's what's the what's the upside for Dubon in here? Yeah, well, what do you mean? What's the upside for Dubon? Oh, from the king's perspective, like why yeah, would Dubon the, let like, this I happen? Think, yeah, why would the king not be instantly suspicious of why Dubon, having just been sentenced unfairly to death, be so generous with his secret book of secrets? Yeah, it's really. What does the king say? Is it possible that if I cut off your head and then, as you say, open the book, read the third line, and speak to your head, it will speak to me? This is the wonder of wonders. Like. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Okay. Uh, and it happens. They do it. And they put Dubon's head on the plate. And Dubon's head says, Now, Majesty, open the book. And the pages are stuck together. So the king has to use his saliva to open the pages and lick mm-hmm. his hands. And there's nothing written on the pages. And uh, the head is like, Open more pages. And then he starts dying because there was poison. This is a very like Seinfeld-esque <laughs> sort of <laughs> licking the envelopes way for somebody to die. <laughs> I mean, it was like it had like a little bit of a not quite Twilight Zone, but it had a little bit of a like a this had a classic short story like gotcha ending. Like mm-hmm. the king pursued this to the inherent logic's end and was met with disaster he well and he was met with exactly the thing that he was worried about happening ah he caused it to happen yeah and again i don't know why if you're worried about being killed through some secretive like some chemical or something you can't see or understand i don't know why you would give him so many opportunities to get like weird powders and <laughs> secret books like so near your person like well, any of these could be poison he wanted special he wa- he's the king he wants more power what could be more powerful than having secrets having your own talking head to give you secrets like no one else has a talking head to give him secrets yeah that's the allure the power want more power that's that's their downfall most of yeah. the time sometimes well or not, not. Time. sometimes Oops. sometimes they just get it so sometimes they just get what they want and then they don't have leprosy or poison books. Hmm. They just get everything they want. Hmm. Power's cool. Power's neat. Yeah. So Shahrazad should have some. is continues. Now we are up to the 17th night. I think some of these nights vary in different editions. I was looking at a list of stories just to make sure I knew what was going on. So if you're if you are familiar with a different edition of these tales, it's possible that the nights are more 
are spaced out differently. Um, probably because Hadoui is using fewer of the tails than other editions, so he is probably putting a few more interstitials in there. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, or whatever this, this version is. Um, but then we get back up to the... Oh, man. We've, we've been... climbed back up to the fisherman and the, and the demon. Yes. And the fisherman is like, listen, demon, I will let you I, out. I think as deep as we get is... Fisherman and the okay, uh, <laughs> Shahrazad telling the story of the fisherman and the demon. Yes, fisherman telling the story of the king, the king and Duban and the vizier are all telling trading some stories. stories. Yes, I think that's the deepest layer we get. Correct in this, and then we climb back out. Yes, um, so the kick has happened. The van is rolling, <laughs> and Joseph Gordon Levitt's there, and we're back up. Fisherman and the demon, um, and. What the the fisherman is like, had the king spared the sage, God would have spared him and he would have lived, but he refused, refused and insisted on destroying the sage. Uh, you two demon, had you from the beginning agreed to spare me, I would have spared you, but you refused and insisted on killing me. I'm going to punish you by throwing you into the sea. Um, and, and building a house and warding everybody off, yes. as we previously discussed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And the demon is like, hey, this is like, don't do what a mama did to Atika. And the fisherman's like, what's that about? And he's like, I can't tell you that story from this jar. You have to let me out. <laughs> and the fisherman is the only person in this run that we read tonight that who does not take that bait. Yep. I think. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, and the demon uh, does pledge to make him rich. And he pledges like a covenant on God's name or whatever, that he will not harm the fisherman. So the fisherman does... not harm the fisherman and and he'll make the fisherman rich. Yeah. And the fisherman does let him out. Mm -hmm. Um, And the demon throws the jar across the earth like it's gone now. Uh Uh-huh. Which my my note in my edition just says, Welp, I wrote next to it. When the fisherman saw what the demon had done, sure that he was going to meet with disaster and death, he wet himself and said, This is a bad omen. That is not mentioned again, the the peeing of no, the pants. No, it really isn't. He does meet a sultan later, too, and he's, there's nothing about him changing his pants. Yeah, I guess it's implied that it happened because ti- a lot of time has passed. Yes. Or even if you're just in the pond yeah, 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 like yeah. fishing and the pee would kind of rinse out. But... <laughs> But the okay, so the the demon. Is I like, won't right, tell I'm, the story about getting stuck on Splash Mountain in elementary school. I won't tell it. We don't need to go that deep in nested stories on this podcast. But I bet people can guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the demon <laughs> is like, "Hey, the demon is like, hey, I can't give you a burlap sack with a dollar sign on it, but I can make you rich through these roundabout means." So he takes him to this. Like magic pond yes. in the middle of this sylvan glen, and the fishermen and and there are a lot all these colorful fish. It's like yellow, blue, red, and white. I think that's correct. And the genie says, "Catch these fish. Don't do it more than once a day. It's a uh, it's a perk that you can only use once <laughs> per day. Uh, catch these fish. Go to this nearby kingdom and sell them to the the king there." And that is as rich as I know how to make you. <laughs> then saying, I shall miss you, the demon kicked the ground with his foot and it opened and swallowed him. That's a great exit line from the demon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then we go into the 19th night 
and he goes and sells the the fish to the sultan or the king rather um and there's like a lot about like how much money they're giving him and the fisherman runs away with all the money in his robe um and it's like a, it's a it is a respectable amount it yes. is not it is not like riches but it's a good amount yes and then it gets real magical up in here again very quickly when the maid starts cooking the fish andrew mm-hmm. i was not prepared <laughs> for her to start cooking the fish and then all of a sudden the kitchen wall like splits open and a woman comes out dressed in a bunch of clothes from Egypt that's remarked upon a number of times. Um, and she thrusts a bamboo wand into the frying pan, starts asking the fish questions. The fish say that they're going to keep their vows to her. And then she walks back into the wall, having knocked all the fish into the fire. Yeah. And the fish are all charred. And the king is like, hey, where's I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Where's my fish? <laughs> oh, I'm a baby. <laughs> K- kingy hungry. No. <laughs> <laughs> where's my fish and she says she relays what happened so they call the fisherman back and they have him get go and get more fish and then it happens again it happens like again in, yes in the presence of the vizier and then the vizier goes to the king and is like hey man you gotta see this is wild <laughs> <laughs> and then they call the fisherman back he gets the fish and then that it happens again Right. Well, and then it's like, a different basically. person. It's, it's different. It's different people. Yeah, but the same, the basic structure where somebody Kool Aid mans through the wall and burns the fish is the same. Yes, and the king says, uh, "I cannot sleep over this affair, for there is no doubt a mystery behind these fish." <laughs> and so the king has become obsessed with this fishery, and he calls the fisherman <laughs> back. <laughs> And is like, hey, where'd you get this fish? And he's like, yo, the, I've got this sick lake. And the king's like, I've never heard of this lake. This lake does not exist. The vizier's like, I've never seen this lake. It's These are your lands, and nobody knows where this lake is. It's a very big mystery. Um, and so they go out. They, they look at the lake. They see the fish. And the king, like, what is he? He's like, I have to go and find the answer. <laughs> I have to leave everyone. I can't mm-hmm. be here until I solve this mystery. Bye. Yeah, I just have to I have to scout around for a little bit. Can um, I just real quick before we yes. before we continue? Please. They were frying up these fish in sesame oil. How did mm. how does that make how does that make you feel? I feel like sesame oil is a little too strong just to like fry fish in, but well, it's possible it's possible that they are using a diluted sesame oil um or they're maybe not even using that much to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest mm-hmm. but yeah I mean, I, it really I, goes a long way with sesame uh, oil it really does i they they can't be using as much as you would olive or canola on these fish okay sure. that would be very bad and yeah but i think it would taste good like it's kind of like yeah, a teriyaki well, I, I can thing. see i can see using a little bit of sesame oil like on some bok choy or something you put them with yeah. some with some rice in this fish uh-huh. But you don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't fry the fish directly in the sesame oil. I would be a lot. This maybe the king has lot. specific tastes. Well, and maybe sesame oil is the only oil that is available yes. to them. That's <laughs> true. Or there are like cultural reasons. I'm not sure. But I just it's. I was reading it, and it, the specific description of the choice of oil stuck with me. Yeah, for some sesame reason. oil is one. I have that 
uh, I'm reminded of the time that I only had almond extract instead of vanilla. The one time I made some banana bread, oh it just yeah, was a very different. They are not, <laughs> no, it was very different. Um, and those are some pungent, specific tastes and smells. You gotta be careful, yeah. or else someone's gonna come through your wall and be like, "What are you doing to these fish?" Yeah, like I'm, I'm very into baking substitutions, but almond for vanilla extract it's is not, not it was a works. different it was you know what it wasn't bad it was just very different hmm. okay. is what i'll say <laughs> i will take your word on that uh so then what does this king do while he's looking around he sees like a like a city he's never heard of before he's like he sees over the hill some like magical palace um and he's like well there must be someone there to give me information uh, so it was built under a lucky star and he goes and he's like, all right, this sounds good. It ge- it gave me some real big like beauty in the beast vibes when the king is like moving through this empty palace. There's no one around though. It doesn't feel, it's not like ruins. It's just very conspicuously empty. Um, uh, yeah. It's I- like clearly inhabited, but by whom? No one yes, knows. Yes. And he eventually discovers a a young lad who is like by himself chanting these lamentations and verses and remarking on his foul fate um and the king's like what's up and he's like my life sucks um i'm crying all the time and he's like why you know wouldn't you cry if you were like this and he pulls back his robe (laughs) and everything from his belly button down is stone and he just sits there all day, <laughs> like turned to stone. Really unclear. Magic is involved, so I guess like you can't be like, well, how is he alive? Because magic, you know. Yeah, no, he's just got stone legs. Yeah, and he can't the move. Stone he's stuck legs. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is we get an interstitial where Shariar thinks to himself, "This is an amazing story. I am willing to postpone her execution even for a month before having her put to death." Yeah, uh, it's um. So as we talked a little bit about last time and, and we're skipping over every one of them this time because they're yeah, just yeah. there so often uh, the same formula that you then start paying attention when they are different. But the transition between nights gets you know gradually shorter until most nights it is just a Scheherazade, you know, morning comes upon her and she says the thing about... You know, her sister is like, wow, that's a cool story. And then she is like, that's just you wait till I tell you one tomorrow. It's going to be even better. (laughs) And then the next night, you know, you get the, you know, the 26th night or or whatever it is. And um, and then they're just in bed and uh, Scheherazade starts telling the next story. But every once in a while, the king pops in like for a while, every night you were getting okay, just one more night and then I'll kill her after I hear the conclusion of this thrilling tale. And then he drops away and it just becomes the like Scheherazade being like, comment, like, and subscribe and then I'll talk to you tomorrow. Well, and every every night's story does begin with like a sentence that is clearly addressed to the king, like usually with an O king sort of. I heard O king that this is what happened. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So then in this one, I guess the like, and this becomes clear in another interlude when uh, King Shariar appears very taken with the notion of this enchanted young man, this young enchanted <laughs> man. And 
uh, he is downright enchanted by him. And so he is kind of really perked up by this story because we're not just talking about fishermen anymore. We're talking about this king who set off on a cool adventure and met another young, cool king. And it's not lost on Craig and I the number of stories this week that just happen to involve kings learning hard lessons. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a- about like maybe not killing people. There, there's the world of these stories is still one in which like many of the men in these stories are inherently distrustful of the women in their lives and. The stories often deliver on that distrust also, but that Well, doesn't... yeah, like usually the the men are right to not trust their women, which is But even the, yeah. maybe the men still make mistakes, and that's kind of where like Shahrazad is pushing the boundaries maybe. I'm not sure. Um but so we move forward with this this young enchanted man Stone Legs. Um, Stone Legs, sorry. King Stone Legs, Prince Stone Legs. Stone Legs Jackson. And uh yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, and the king's like, tell me your story. My ears, my eyes, and my mind are ready, which is a great thing to say to someone. <laughs> my body my body, is <laughs> my body's for ready this for this story. story. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the tale of the enchanted king. And he was like hanging out. Just he, every time an, another story comes up, I am in my head a member of the midnight society throws another handful <laughs> of dust into the fire and you see the little like tail the title text yeah uh and he's like hanging out and he has two of his maids like fanning him and he starts like almost going to sleep and they start talking about his wife and how she is uh adulterous and she's they're using very foul language and she sneaks out and after she like gives him like a sleeping potion so that he won't notice her leaving. She runs away and like sees her lover elsewhere. And so one night he uh, pretends to drink it, but doesn't. And she uses like some magic powers to get out of a city and meets with a bunch of guys like the, the, I don't remember if he has a name or not. I don't think that he does, Uh, but he has like a whole crew of people. Mm-hmm. and he is like mad that she was late and she's very upset to maybe be put out and like be out of his favor and so she's like really falling over herself to to like make it up to him and the the stone legs runs in and strikes the guy in the neck with a sword thinking that he has killed him but andrew has he, he no he didn't do it <laughs> but he didn't quite He's neither alive nor dead is the descriptor that we get. Yes, yes. So he is he is wounded and so his wife like se- <laughs> she comes to him and she's like, "Yeah, my husband died and like my cousins all got hurt and all my family members suddenly have been seized by great misfortune. So we could we build like the special cool mausoleum?" And then I can just go in there every day and like pray for my family. And the king is like, sure, fine. And what is what is happening is she has her lover in there and she goes every day to try and like nurse him back to health, even though he's not really he's he's neither uh, circling the drain nor really improving. He's just kind of in a comatose sort yeah, of state. Yeah, thinking sort of the um like the back half of season one of Game of Thrones where Carl Drogo's all like after the witch messes with him and he's just catatonic. Sure. You know, just thinking. Sure. Just thinking about it. 
get in a frame of reference for people. You know, uh-huh. the, hit, the, the hit show Game of Thrones. The hit show Game of Thrones, yeah. yeah. Um, and she's like praying over him and reciting verses. Uh, and it's really bumming out old stone legs. And, and Drogo does die, though, at the end of that. Well, just you wait, Andrew. But he like dies of his yeah, disease. The, yeah, kind he of, does die of the of, disease. Not yeah. So in another more accurate way, your promo for <laughs> SpawnCon over HBO, here, your sponsored content for the hit <laughs> HBO show Game of Thrones is not really. Uh, and so she is like mad. The I guess what Stonelegs comes in on her singing to her dead boyfriend, and, and she's mad yeah, at him for hurting him. Yes, and so she, you know, she reveals herself to be a like a witch or a sorceress, and she gives him the old stone legs treatment. <laughs> and then we pop back to to Fish King and Stone Legs, and so Fish King says, "I'm gonna go deal with this for you." Well, so fish, like, we we okay. do we quickly like we learn that not only did she do the old stone leg spell she did cast like a beauty and the beast spell on the kingdom and turned everybody into the fish yes yeah yeah. um and like the the different colors of the fish correspond to different religions like the muslims and the christians and the jews and the what the book says is the magians but the footnote says the zoriastrians which is a term i am familiar with um each represent one of the different fishes so they're, that's where they've been the whole time. And I guess Stonelegs is probably sad about all those people being fish. And I wonder if Fish King is thinking about the fact that he ate some of those fish. Just wonder. He didn't actually eat any of them. None though. of them? They all got dumped in the fire. Well, then are they Remember? just in the trash? <laughs> like... Yeah, they're just trash fish. <laughs> Gross. I mean, they do speak to these, like the people yes. who come in through the wall, like the fish in the pan turn and speak and it seems like kind of a reset button is getting hit maybe yeah in that little mm, mm, in that mm. little repetition there. okay so maybe maybe nobody got killed let's hope so yeah it's sort of but, like does mario kill the the mushroom kingdom people when he punches the blocks because the blocks used to be toads did you know that yeah you know i knew that you ever think about yeah. that yeah I mean, in later Mario games, you can play as Toad. What do you think that feels like? Oh boy! How does it, what is Toad's voice? <laughs> no, that's the, that's, that's what he it. sounds like. Um, so Fish King says, "Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to take care of this. Thanks for clearing out the mystery of the fish. I feel really bad for you, so I'm going to fix this problem for you." So he goes to like this mausoleum thing, and he just real quickly, like without even thinking about it, just dispatches this not quite dead guy. Yep. And throws his body like in a well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then he dresses up as him. Yes. And lays there. And when the witch lady comes and says sort of a ritualistic, oh, if you know, talk to me if you can. I really need you to get better because I like you so much. Um, Fish King says, I am alive and I'm great. What I need you to do is to undo all the stuff that you did starting with like your husband when you co- you gave him stone legs and when you come here every day and whip him for being a jerk yeah she has been whipping me, him yeah yeah like it keeps me awake and i would have healed faster <laughs> if you weren't if you weren't whipping him and he wasn't screaming I forgot all the time. that that was his reason <laughs> yeah and so they she unstone legs is him yes and then he tricks her into un 
fishing the like town, magicking the kingdom, like yes. unfishifying the kingdom. And then he's like, "Come closer, 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 my love." And then he slices her in half. Yeah. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> People die real fast. Yeah, it's like Call of Duty book. in here. People die very quickly. It's, <laughs> it's not like Halo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they don't have like regenerating shields. It's nope. just everybody once somebody gets dead, somebody gets slashed, then that's just that's it for it. them. They're gone. They're yeah. gone. Um, she gets Darth Maul. People don't get a lot of like great last monologues. No, they don't. There's no like, like right as someone, no like Assassin's Creed, like someone getting stabbed, and they're like, "Let me tell you my life story." As the knife goes into my liver, mm-hmm. it's going to take thirty minutes. Um, none of that. You get demons saying, "I shall miss you," and then going into the ground, and then you have people just getting cut in twain. Um, and so Fish King saved the day. Stone legs, he can walk now. All his people are healthy again. And fish. There's a little wrinkle where the kingdom, like the non magic version of the kingdom, is actually a year from where they started and yes. not an hour. Yes, that's true. So they do have to do a big journey, but it doesn't actually end up mattering at all. Uh, fish King adopts he does. Stone Legs as his son. They come back to the kingdom. The fisherman comes back, makes another appearance, and uh, Fish King is like, hey, do you have a family? And Fisherman is like, yeah, I've got a family. And so the king marries one of Fisherman's daughters, and Fish or, uh, Stonelegs marries the other one, and then like his son is like in, is enlisted as a high-level advisor yeah, or something, and then like I some think other they send, aristocratic position. They send someone else important, like the Vizier or someone, to go be in charge of Stone Legs' kingdom. Like yeah. someone's just and, whatever. And so, voila, just like that, in, a, in the snap of a finger, the fisherman is rich, just like the genie promised. <laughs> just like the genie promised. <laughs> And uh, Shahrazad, uh, but mourning overtook Shahrazad and she lapsed into silence. Then Dinarzad said, what an amazing and entertaining story. Shahrazad replied, what is this compared with what I should tell you tomorrow night if the king spares me and lets me live? Earlier, the king had remarked about how much, again, about how much he loved the young enchanted king. By God, I shall postpone her execution for tonight and many more nights, even for two months, until I hear the rest of the story and find out what happened to the enchanted young man. Then I shall have her put to death as I did the others. And my notes just say, like, keep your eye on the prize. Because <laughs> <laughs> now it, it was a month. Now it's two months. But still, she is going to be dead ski. Yeah. He thinks. Unless she keeps telling these sick stories. Yeah, which apparently she does, because that's the whole thing. That's yeah. the whole point of the book. Yeah. So this collection was, as we said earlier, mostly about kings learning things, kings learning lessons, some of them changing their behavior, some of them getting help from uh, fishermen and from other kings. Some of them changing their behavior by becoming dead and no longer alive. <laughs> The ultimate way to change one's behavior. Mm-hmm. That's how you cut out some bad habits. Oh, man. Just don't have anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. We met a genie. We met a man whose head went on a plate. We caught a talking uh, narc parrot. Yep. Uh, there was a she-ghoul. And... <laughs> 
Yeah. That's not so great. The Sheagle was not so great, but eh. the talking parrot, I like that the parrot was just, it was a talking parrot. Like, I thought yeah. it was going to be an elaborate, like, she, the parrot's going to repeat someone's name illicitly or something. It's like, no, straight up, it's just a talking no, parrot. No, this parrot can just have a conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, these were fun stories, I guess. I had fun yeah, with no, them. I mean, we skipped over some of the brutalizing of women. That, yeah, yeah, that happened. There was less brutalizing of women in this than in the first batch, but still some. And it's just it is it is just a, a lot given of, of the world, which is a yeah, frustrating. Just a tension. lot of a lot of misogyny, and it's fun. The stories are fun, but the sort of patriarchal worldview is not as fun. No. <laughs> I've found. No. Uh, so next time we are going to talk about uh, the story of the porter and the three ladies. Uh, and that's going to take us through the next two episodes. There are nested tales within. Uh, but you, uh, you, for our purposes, you said which nights roughly yeah. those end on. Can you tell the people at home? I as can well? do my best. So if you're, it, and it really only applies if you're using a similar edition to ours. But it is through the fifty-second night is episode three, and through uh, most of almost the sixty-ninth night, nice for episode four. Oh, nice. mm-hmm. um, and then we will then we'll do a skip. Uh, and once these go up on the main feed, I'll post the full schedule so everyone can reference it later. Um, which cool. maybe you're listening to that now after our combo episode dropped. Um, and if you want to get these early, uh, we'll tell you where uh, in just a second. But if you have any questions about some of the stories we read, you can send us an email overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook.com at overduepod. I think I said that right. Andrew, you know the drill. Overduepodcast.com is our website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed, and a bunch of other things, including our Patreon page. You can get episodes of this early if you go and support us at the $10 level or above, though we understand if you cannot. And we are committed to... We we keep things behind a timed paywall, but everything makes it out to the main feed yep. eventually. Yep. So that's, that is our promise to you. Yes. Um. We, I guarantee it. And if we break our word, <laughs> put us in a jar and toss us in the ocean. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, anything else? No, that's it. Again, next time, Story of the Porter and the Three Ladies, part one. Um, and just like every episode of Genie Babies, Andrew, what do we say at the end? What is this podcast compared with what I shall tell you next episode if I live? Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Let the sound take you away